everybody, and welcome to From Plum Creek with Love, a little house on the prairie podcast. I'm your host, John Hernandez. Back in May 2021, I went cross country by car all the way from Portland, Oregon, slash Vancouver, Washington, to Fort Myers, Florida. I walked out on the pier. I shuffled my feet through the sand, really fine, comfortable, warm sand, I have to say, and I had some food. And now I find myself, of course, looking at pictures of Fort Myers Beach after Hurricane Ian. That beach is now covered with debris. That pier isn't there anymore. And the place I had food is one of the few places still standing. A whole community just gone. I scroll through my phone's photo album to find a few of the pictures that I had taken while I was there. And from the images online, I'm trying to locate where some of those buildings used to stand. Fort Myers, I will admit, is one of those places I never really knew existed. And if it wasn't for my cross-country trip, I never would have known about it. So it's nice to think of that place in my own memories and my experience there and not necessarily have to associate Fort Myers Beach with the devastating effect of a hurricane. So best wishes and good luck for the redevelopment of the area. And with that being said, let's get started on today's recap. Today's episode is entitled, I Remember, I Remember, and debuted on January 23rd, 1978. The episode was written by Arthur Heineman and directed by William F. Claxton. It's a lovely midday afternoon at Plum Creek. Carrie is returning home with a bouquet of flowers, and she is being mindful as she's crossing that creek as to not fall into it once again. Mary's outside the little house, hanging a banner that is displaying the words, Happy Anniversary! Ma and Pa. Carrie announces she has those flowers, a whole bushel, while at the same time Mary calls Caroline out from the house to share the surprise of the anniversary banner. Mary wanted to keep it a surprise for for both Charles and Caroline, but it's late in the day and Charles hasn't returned home. Inside, Carrie is admiring her bouquet that Caroline has placed in a pitcher on top of the table which Laura has done a beautiful job setting. At this moment, however, Carrie knocks over the vase, the flowers, and all the water. Laura is, of course, upset. Caroline, it's no biggie. She also mentions to Laura how beautiful the table looks. Carrie complains that she's hungry. What else is new? And according to Mary, everything is ready, and the only thing missing is the groom. And we cut to the groom, Charles, minus a limp, and he's having wagon trouble. It's not necessarily a flat tire, but it's pretty on par. That wheel is completely off. He's using his horse team, because he doesn't have a jack, to help lift up that wagon, to help set that wheel back into place. However, as that wagon is lifted, and things are just going to be okay, we remind ourselves This is the first five minutes. Something bad is bound to happen, which leads to Charles's wagon 
crashing down into the ground. We find ourselves back over at Plum Creek. It's dark. Laura inquires, do you think anything bad happened? There's a very adamant no from Caroline. Carrie mentions how happy she is that they didn't wait because she was hungry. Those are all her lines for the rest of the episode. Caroline then states, well, this isn't the first time or the last time your father's going to keep me waiting. That's when Mary inquires, do you remember the time, the first time he kept you waiting? Caroline begins, she was not much older than Laura, and he had a whipping good excuse for being late. And that's when she starts to share her story, that she wasn't entirely sure of Charles' initial feelings towards her. And we are brought back to Caroline's childhood, located near the Oconomowoc River in Wisconsin. And we are not having a dream sequence. We are having a flashback. And along this countryside, a wagon comes up the road and stops in front of a house. We are introduced to a Mrs. Holbrook and her three children, Henry, Eliza Ann, who we've met before as an adult, and Caroline. Out from the wagon, we are again introduced to Lansford and Laura Ingalls, their young daughter, Polly, Peter, who we've also met before, and a young Charles, who we were introduced to back in season three's Journey in the Spring, part one. And this young Charles is a shy boy. Mrs. Holbrook invites the entire family in for tea, and as everyone leaves, Caroline and Charles have a moment outside in which Charles stares at Caroline and then proceeds to cross his eyes and runs away. Caroline is confused and slightly taken aback. We cut to the Ingalls men working on the Ingalls house, which is not the same one that Lansford Ingalls later attempted to burn down. The Holbrooks are arriving with some food. They state it's never a bad time to be neighborly. They've brought bread and maple syrup. Lansford is impressed by the maple syrup and is informed that they have a sugaring event once a year. In fact, this is when Mrs. Holbrook points out that Caroline's got some maple candy to share with everyone. When it's offered to Charles, he turns it down. He's, like I said, he's presenting himself as a shy boy. Older brother Peter goes and has some one-on-one -on -one with his brother Charles and mentions, uh, she wants you to have the candy. I think she likes you. And all you've managed to do is gone and hurt her feelings. Peter convinces Charles to go and apologize, which he does. And Caroline's confused what he's apologizing for. And he says for being a dummy. Trying to get clarification, Caroline states, what makes you say that? Without missing a beat, Charles proclaims, my brother, bye. When Peter then inquires what Charles had said, Charles relays everything. And there is an eye roll without an eye roll from Peter, who then tells Charles he's graduated from being a dummy to being a jackass. His words, not mine. After the visit, Caroline and her family are heading home and they're crossing by the stable 
where Charles happens to be hiding and peering behind the fence. Caroline turns to her mother and calls Charles strange. Mrs. Holbrook then states, I think he likes you. Young boys have a tendency to act silly and standoffish when they like a girl. We find ourselves back in Prairieverse present time. Caroline is there in her chair with Carrie on her lap, and Mary and Laura are listening attentively. When the story is over, Caroline tells the girls it's nightgown time. Meanwhile, Charles has somehow managed to get that wagon lifted and get that wheel back on, and he is burning his kerosene lamplight. And it should come as no surprise that it starts to rain. And not just a drizzle, but a downright thunderstorm. Back at Plum Creek, Caroline is checking outside for Charles. Laura mentions how there might be a chance of rain. That's when Mary begs if they could have more stories. And Laura concurs, you didn't tell us how he kept you waiting. Caroline decides to continue and begins with mentioning how boys at that age were very unpredictable. Laura inquires if Charles was her first beau. Caroline takes a moment, perhaps, and this is when she recalls a Harold Watson who happened to have feelings for Caroline. And just like Laura and Johnny Johnson, barf, it's an unrequited love story there. In fact, according to Caroline, she didn't like how self-important he believed he was because he was the son of the school teacher who just by chance happened to have it in for Charles since his first day of school. Our flashback continues and we are in school and Mr. Watson is telling the class that we work hard, hard, hard on every subject, even deportment. Everything has an equal significance. Do I make myself clear, clear, clear? At this moment, he points to Charles and makes a request for his name. In a whisper, Charles delivers it. Unable to hear it, Mr. Watson orders Charles to stand up and speak up. However, the volume is only slightly raised in Charles's voice. This is when Mr. Watson states, enunciate and speak so as to be heard. And this is when Charles yells his name. The class immediately erupts in LOLs, which is immediately silenced when Mr. Watson hits his desk with his stick. For this behavior, Charles loses out on recess and is forced to stay after school and make up for his deportment. Charles nods his head to acknowledge the punishment. We cut to lunchtime outside of the school. All the kids are out there and the closed caption says that we are hearing flogging. As this is happening, we are then introduced to Harold Watson. He makes a plea for Laura to share his fancy lunch with him. And Laura has four very important words to share with Harold. I don't want to. At this time, the school door opens and Charles makes his exit. His brother Peter offers him some food, 
which is turned down, and Charles walks away from the building. That's when Harold Watson yells out, How'd you like your deportment, Ingalls? Charles is silent. Harold mocks the silence and starts to run after Charles. Speak up, Ingalls! And he continues to taunt Charles until Charles does a 180 and tackles Harold. Now we see where Mary gets it. From inside the school building, Mr. Watson catches this scene and races outside. Caroline tries to defend Charles, but Mr. Watson shuts her down and mentions how he can distinguish the innocent from the troublemakers. Charles is once again flogged for his punishment, this time out in the open for everyone to see. And when it's over, Charles runs off. We cut to the end of the day. Charles and Peter, on route to home, come across Caroline yelling at Henry Watson to leave me alone. I don't want you to carry my books. Charles, witnessing this, is ready for round two. He throws his school supplies to the ground and runs over and tells Harold to stop. In his defense, Harold Watson states, My pot is correct, having you pegged as a troublemaker. And, well, I'm not entirely sure what to call it, but Charles comes back with, Well, yeah, your pot's full of applesauce. Following that up with, You leave, or do I come ramming and thumping? At which point, he lowers his head and raises his fist like he's mimicking a bull. Not really sure what to make of the situation, Harold Watson runs off, yelling, I'm going to tell my paw on you. Charles yells back, does your paw fight all your battles? And that's what Charles actually should have started with. At this moment, Caroline thanks Charles for helping to get rid of that pest. Charles, um, I, I wasn't helping you. I was uh, just finishing up something we started earlier. There's an awkward thanks anyway from Caroline, who then offers Charles uh, to carry her books, if you like. At which point a uh, shy Charles stumbles over his words. Um, uh, I can't. I gotta go home. Do chores. Gotta go. Bye. He then runs back to Peter. And Peter immediately tells him that Caroline is sweet on you. She's always making eyes at you. And you just made eyes at her. Coming to his own defense, Charles states, I did not. Take it back. And starting to jog, that's when Peter begins, Charles got a girlfriend. On repeat, while Charles follows in pursuit to get him to stop. We cut to Caroline heading to the Ingalls' house by herself, and we hear violin music. And Caroline peeks inside the window, and this is when Peter catches her from behind and pushes her indoors. Peter states, I just caught a spy. And coming to her own defense, Caroline states she wasn't spying. I just heard music. I was curious who was playing. Peter continues to tease her. What? He heard it all the way from your house? It should be noted inside the Ingalls' house, Caroline's brother is already there working 
at the spinning wheel with Polly. It's at this time Mrs. Ingalls invites Caroline to stay. She's just made some donuts, and they can have some milk. And afterwards, Charles can escort you home. En route, back to Caroline's house, Caroline pays Charles's music a compliment, and then inquires how old was he when he started. Five. We're told he's now twelve. Caroline mentions he should play at the school, which Charles immediately turns down because he hates Mr. Watson too much to do so. Caroline, well, everyone does. And she continues, I'd like to fix his goose on the way he picks on you all the time. Curious. Caroline wonders aloud if Charles has ever been to a berry picking festival because there's one coming up this weekend. He hasn't. She continues by mentioning how the girls who attend end up making two lunches to bring with them, one for themselves and the second one for the boy that they'd like. However, it's marked in a way that only the boy would know. Caroline then proposes, would you like me to make lunch for us? There's a shy nod yes from Charles. With a smile on her face, Caroline states that the sandwich will be wrapped up with a yellow ribbon, just like the one she's wearing in her hair. Take a good look at it. Memorize it. Commit it to memory. We cut to Charles, once again being flogged for his interaction with Harold Watson. And Charles once again runs off when the punishment is concluded. We then get Mr. Watson heading out to the outhouse. Once inside, Charles comes out from behind and starts to wrap a rope around the outhouse, trapping Mr. Watson inside. Mr. Watson, from inside the outhouse, and looking out the crescent moon-shaped window uh, vent, yells out, I'll get you, Charles Ingalls. And from there, we cut to the Ingalls house. Polly comes out in a Sunday dress, and Mrs. Ingalls is coming out looking as though she's ready for some flamenco dancing. She has a very lovely shawl and a large flower in her hair. At this time, Mr. Watson, in his buckboard, shows up. Lansford Ingalls, well, I wonder what he's doing out here. And off to the side, we get from Charles, uh, I don't know. Of course, we know. This parent-teacher conference is not good for Charles. With Mr. Watson, Lansford, and Charles off to the side, Lansford inquires, did you really tie a rope around the outhouse, shutting the door with Mr. Watson inside? After he admits it, he is then told that he knows what to expect. More flogging, but this time with a belt, which Lansford Ingalls happens to supply to Mr. Watson. And Mr. Watson proceeds to flog Charles with a leather belt as Lansford watches. And after a few smacks, Lansford stops him. The boy now knows the punishment for his bad behavior. He then calls out Mr. Watson and tells him to not repeat his own provocation. Stunned, 
Mr. Watson inquires, what do you mean? Lansford shares how he knows that Charles is being singled out. And coming to his self-defense, Mr. Watson states, ah, the boy is exaggerating. Lansford interrupts him and says, Charles never mentioned any of uh, this to me. But his brother Peter did. And I am telling you, if I ever hear you lay a finger on my son from anyone, I will come to school and thrash you in front of your students. Do I make myself clear? All the air is immediately released from Mr. Watson, who then makes a very quick exit in silence. And as he climbs into his buckboard and leaves, Lansford turns to Charles and says, Let's have a little less mischief and more application to your studies. And as punishment, you're going to stay home from the Berry Festival. Charles understands we find ourselves back at Plum Creek. Caroline is looking out the window and the rain is here. And Caroline states, I waited and waited, just like we are now. Both the girls implore Caroline to continue on with the story. Tell us more, tell us more. But Caroline states it is way past their bedtime and she sends the girls up to the loft. In that moment, the thunder rolls and the lightning strikes. Caroline is hoping that Charles has found some shelter. And Charles, well, he hasn't. He's almost completed the repair work on that wagon. We cut to late night at Plum Creek. Laura is coming down from the loft. She's worried about Charles and inquires if she can crawl into bed with Caroline. Permission granted, Caroline immediately complains how cold Laura's feet are. Laura mentions how she's happy that they don't have a mean teacher like Mr. Watson and then begs her mom to continue the rest of the story. Caroline begins how she was actually happy how Mr. Watson ended up tied up in the outhouse. She just doesn't want to let Charles know that, however, because she still is a little sour about the Berry Festival. We're at lunchtime. Charles and Caroline are sitting together. He apologizes for missing that festival. Caroline is aware of the incident. She was informed by Charles's parents. She claims that she was shocked by his behavior, but Charles, well, he earned it. She continues by saying she was upset and tells Charles that she ended up sharing her lunch with Harold Watson. Charles, fine, not interested. Caroline, however, immediately confesses the truth that she didn't actually share it because she can't stand to watch Harold Watson chew. At this time, Charles proceeds to pull a small package out from his pocket and hands it over to Caroline. She opens it up and it's jewelry. It's a necklace of seeds. Job's tears, according to Charles, and he made it himself. You don't have to wear it if you don't want to. Caroline's eyes got so big and she assures him, oh, I do, and does request some help putting it on. How does it look? Charles lets her know, and it looks pretty on you. 
She then takes his hand and thanks him. We cut to the end of the day. Those two are walking home. Caroline confesses this is the first present a boy has ever given her. Charles admits this is the first time he's ever given a present to a girl. And hoping that history does not repeat itself, Caroline then invites Charles to a haying dance. It's exactly what it sounds like. Everyone gets together to take care of the hang, and then there's a dance to celebrate. Caroline lets it slip that Harold Watson has already asked her, but continues to say she turned him down because she's going with somebody else. And Charles, who is clueless and feels as though he can never win, inquires, who are you going with? Caroline delivers an eye roll without eye rolling and sighs. She turns to Charles and then inquires, are you going to make me say it? Fine. Charles Ingalls, will you go to the haying dance with me? There's a, I guess, delivered from Charles and Caroline is not having it. You can't guess so. It's either yes or no. It's a quick yes from Charles who then makes a quick exit. We cut to Charles running home and there's frost everywhere on the ground. He runs into Peter and immediately confesses, I can't dance. Peter looks at his little brother. That's fine. I, I don't want to dance with you. Charles flustered. Not you, stupid. I'm supposed to take Caroline to the haying dance. Upon hearing this, Peter inquires, you take a girl? He immediately LOLs and then decides to help Charles out and tells him that dancing's easy. You just move your feet to the music. There's only a slight head shake from me on that. This is when Charles gets a crash course in dance instructions and he is not thrilled when Peter puts his hands on him. Peter tells his little brother, it's not a wrestling match. I'm trying to show you how to dance. Charles takes a moment to look around. I hope there's nobody watching. And this is when Peter starts a waltz step. And after a few attempts and Charles ending up all over Peter's feet, the lesson is canceled. And we cut to the haying dance. And it sounds like there is a full-blown band somewhere. The camera zooms in on Caroline waiting for Charles as she is wearing her new necklace. And she is absolutely resembling little Olga Nordstrom, Ginny Clark, and Anna Gilberg. At this time, the Ingalls family shows up and Caroline inquires, where's Charles? She's informed that he'll be in a minute. He's just trying to get his hair right. As Caroline continues to wait, Harold Watson, accompanied by a friend, comes over and starts to pester her and wants to have a dance with her. She turns him down and states, I'm saving all my dances for Charles. At this time, Harold Watson opens his mouth and tells her, eh, Charles is not coming to the dance. He told me so himself, with his friend following behind. Caroline heads over to see her mom, who happens to be sporting some previous fashion from a Miss Katie Thorvald. And an unhappy Caroline protests to her mom that she wants to go home. Charles isn't coming. And, well, 
Caroline apparently has no patience whatsoever. However, permission is granted to head home. Caroline turns and stomps off. P.S. We have a three-piece band. It's a cello, a violin, and a banjo. We're back at Caroline's house. She arrives home in tears and rips that necklace off in anger. Back over at the haying dance, Charles is finally making his entrance of sorts. Peeking behind the door, he tries to get Peter's attention, and when Peter heads over, Peter finds Charles with a black eye and a bruised lip. We're told Harold and his goon friend, Ike, jumped him outside before he got in. He tried to clean himself up, but proclaims he still looks like a mess. He is then informed that Caroline has left, and he heads out to go find her. Peter, in the meantime, heads over to the refreshment table, and he finds Harold Watson and Ike and inquires to them, You like girls? There's a yes from the two of them, and Peter instructs the boys to follow him. And he takes those boys up into a room above the dance and closes the door. And we never find out what happens. We cut to Charles arriving at the Holbrook house. He's knocking on the door. Caroline is unwilling to open it and tells him to leave her alone. I never want to set my eyes on you again. He tries to explain, but Caroline is adamant. You're never going to keep me waiting again. Charles continues to plead to open the door. I can show you why I was late. I would have been there at the dance. However, not getting a response, Charles states, fine, I'm going to wait until your folks come home. This is when the door opens. And looking out, Caroline sees the bruises and is told that it was all Harold Watson and Ike's fault. Charles continues, you, you must be ashamed of the way I look. And little Caroline then states, I'll never be ashamed of you, Charles Ingalls. He apologizes for making them miss out on the dance. And Caroline states, well, we can have our own dance here. With a smile, Charles states, he likes this setting better. Charles and Caroline both lift their arms to get ready to dance, and they are mere opposites of one another. And taking manners into her own hands, Caroline corrects the hand placement situation, and they start to dance on the porch as the camera zooms out. We're back at Plum Creek. The rain is a little softer. Laura is still in bed with Caroline as she concludes the story. She had never told Charles about breaking the necklace, but she did collect all the seeds and restrung them. And this is when Caroline inquires to Laura, would you like to see them? There's a very big yes from me. And Caroline goes digging through her keepsake chest and finds the necklace. Here they are, and I'll never part with them. They remind me never to make hasty judgments about Charles. Looking onto the bed, Laura has finally managed to fall asleep. Caroline tucks Laura into bed, and in the silence, she hears a wagon approach the house. 
and with a big smile, she runs out to greet Charles. While dressed in her bathrobe and her red ruby-colored slippers, and well, surprise, that paper anniversary banner is still up and in good condition. As Charles is getting off that wagon, he is trying to usher Caroline back inside. It's cold and it's damp. She doesn't mind. This is when Charles reminds himself that, oh, I have a small package for you. I bet you thought I would forget. And once again, he pulls a small package out from his pocket, and it's a tin of spice that Caroline had requested. And while she is um, a little let down, but not, <laughs> she turns to head back inside. Charles stops her once again and pulls out a new necklace. Something special for a special lady. Happy anniversary. While they embrace and kiss, Caroline makes a request for them to dance. Charles seems slightly surprised and says, out here? And Caroline states, I just feel like dancing. And as they stand there and they get ready to dance, she recreates their first dance with how they had their arms lifted incorrectly and with a smile. How's that for remembering? And there we leave Charles and Caroline waltzing in the mud in the cold night. Okay, well, let's get right into some trivia. And just going to flat out state, the information and trivia being shared is, of course, courtesy of Caroline Fraser's Prairie Fires book. It was cool having this flashback episode and being introduced to, of course, the siblings of Charles and Caroline. And more in particular, the inclusion of just these siblings only. Yes, it's true that the Ingalls family at that time did move after purchasing some land along the Onomawaka River. And yes, their neighbors were the Holbrooks. However, Mrs. Holbrook had remarried. Caroline's last name was Quivers, and her father had been lost at sea when she was five years old in 1845. Caroline Fraser then proceeds to tell us that the years following her dad's passing and before her mom's remarried were some really trying times out in the woods near Brooksfield, Wisconsin. When Caroline's mom remarried, that's when they moved to the Oconomowoc River area. And by the time Charles and Caroline had met, they were teenagers. But circling around back to why only these siblings were mentioned was because in 1859, Henry and Polly married. The next year, Charles at 24 and Caroline at 20 married. And following that year, Peter and Eliza married. And again, we already knew about Peter and Eliza because they've already been introduced in the series back in season three, Journey in the Spring. And not to jump too far into things, let's just get into reviewing and rating this episode. We have an origin story in Little House on the Prairie. We see essentially how this all begins. And that's really cool. Plus, we use a different form of storytelling by having most of it all told in a flashback. We had a few mentions of, of course, Charles and Caroline's history together, most notably, of course, in 
the love of Johnny Johnson in season one. And even back then, they described a young Charles as a very shy boy. And Caroline being the one who does ask him out to a picnic. Or, as this particular episode has us believing, a haying dance and a berry-picking festival. There are a number of other small mentions, of course, of Caroline and Charles in their formative slash tween slash courting years. So being able to see some of this, of course, is very interesting. Yeah, it's a cute little love story, origin story, and again, really awesome to be told mostly through the use of flashbacks. Oh, and it was great to see Lansford and Laura Ingalls out of bed, and of course, in their younger years. And of course, that's just how the prairie verse works when we have two different flashbacks from two different seasons and the same child actor portraying that role. But we didn't get the same actor for his father. And yes, I'm well aware that young Charles will eventually turn into a young Albert Ingalls. How am I aware of that? Well, again, spoilers. However, speaking of returning actors, did anyone notice little Anna Gilberg lost her stutter and magically turned into a young Caroline? As I was recording the recap, I was listing off those names and I just stared at at the actress and I was like, she does look familiar. And yes, Kathy Kurtzman has returned as young Caroline in this episode. You know, this entire episode rested on two children actors and and I, I think they actually did pretty well. And to see how rough Peter and Charles's adult relationship is, was, to see them interact as kids, just have to say, Peter's a pretty cool older brother. However, I still want to know how he punished Harold Watson and Ike up in that room. Because that is a mystery. But what is not a mystery is this week's Little House Moment, which goes to Lansford, Charles, and Mr. Watson having their parent-teacher's conference over along the side of the house. Lansford hears about the whole incident, supplies the belt, watches a punishment being dealt out, and then stops it shortly afterwards. But then catching Mr. Watson off guard for Mr. Watson's own behavior of singling Charles out, which he denies and says Charles is lying about, only to discover that it was an outside source, aka Peter, who actually did inform Lansford about Mr. Watson's own behavior. And in the mix of it all, Charles stands there, aware of his punishments that are about to happen, not only once, but twice, but then being witness to this whole other scene he didn't expect, really giving him exposure to what is just and fair. And I think it's fair to say that Charles, young Charles, won't have to worry about Mr. Watson, or actually Harold Watson and Ike, either. And with that, let's finally get to rating this episode. So again, I've already just kind of celebrated the fact that we have an origin story told primarily in flashback. We had a lengthy time jump earlier in this season, but like I said, this is the first time in our series this has been the method of storytelling for an episode. 
And I, I'm all for that, actually. It kind of even opens up more things. Oh, can we get more origin story? Can we, can we get the origin of Harriet Olsen? Wouldn't that be awesome? We know they celebrate Founders Day, so why can't we have a flashback episode and a younger Mr. Hansen helping to set up Walnut Grove in the Hero Township area? Because if we had episodes like that, we wouldn't have had such disasters like In the Big Inning or The Raccoon or any episode involving Johnny Johnson. Oh, and it was nice to see and hear from Laura in this episode. So, yeah, in, in thinking back on this entire episode, um, I think we've got a really oh, nice, well-rounded episode. You know, because it has a little bit of everything. Young love, rivalry, music, flogging. Like I said, a little bit of everything. And again, nice job of using uh, real-life uh, historical facts about the Ingalls and Quiver slash Holbrook family. Oh, and of course, how could I forget... We are also introduced to a young DJ Ingalls. Heck, even annoying little pest Harold Watson did a pretty good job. And although I am a little hung up on wanting to know how Peter punished Harold and Ike, you just have to remember Caroline and Charles weren't there. So why should it make a difference if I know or not? So with that, we're going to give this episode I Remember, I Remember a 4.75 bonnet rating. It didn't wow me like a 5 bonnet rating episode, but it didn't need a 4.5 bonnet because it was better than that. And as always, those are some of my thoughts and feelings about this episode. And as always, I wouldn't mind hearing any thoughts or feelings you have about this episode, previous episodes, or seasons. From Plum Creek with Love at gmail.com as well as through the Instagram account. Looking ahead to the next episode, I did take note, it's another one of those long-running episodes. Goody. As I still try to figure out how to get this podcast up on Stitcher, uh, feel free to, as always, leave a rating or review on your platform of choice to, again, get the word out on this podcast. I know there are a handful of Little House on the Prairie podcasts that are out there, and you chose this one. So thank you and much appreciated. And with that, we come to the end of another episode of From Plum Creek with Love, a Little House on the Prairie podcast. I'm your host, John Hernandez. And until next time, take care.